What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the Silicon Valley area of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. And uh, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. And Congressman, just a little procedural thing. Joyce, who normally screens our calls, is uh, the traffic here is just, it's not the traffic. They're evacuating literally five miles south of Portland. The city is engulfed in smoke. And Joyce was trying to get in this morning, and there's all kinds of car accidents because you can't see. And Route 5 is shut down, the freeway that gets you to near, you know, close to where we are. And so she's still stuck in traffic. It's been an hour and a half. Uh, Apparently there's some god-awful accident out there. And so I'm screening calls live while we're on the air. But I can't talk to people. I can only see what their phone number is, where they're calling from, and if they've ever called before, I can see their name. So I'll be popping people on the air to talk to you, but they're unscreened. So I may be dumping people real quickly or whatever. Sean's got her finger on the obscenity button and all that kind of stuff. So my apologies, but I hope you're well, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are while we're on the air. Well, I hope you're uh, you're well, and I uh, hope that uh, you and your team are safe. I've, I've been reading how awful... Uh, the fires and everything are in, in Oregon. On 9-11, I'm uh, reflecting, uh, obviously, on, on the loss, but also how uh, there seemed a, a moment of time that uh, our, our nation uh, came together that seemed so far away from the polarized times we have. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of the uh, common purpose we had was then squandered into a, uh, a needless war in Iraq. And it, it, it really seems that's where the polarization of the nation began. But if we could uh, reflect about what can bring us together and have a uh, a, a thoughtful purpose going forward, uh, that would uh, really be something this country desperately needs. Yeah. We need normalcy. We need moral leadership. We need healing. It is three and a half, four years of madness, I think, has just exhausted us all. So you want to pick up some phone calls here? That would be great. Okay, let's go for it. Apparently, there's a little bit of a delay here. It comes and goes depending on the day and Internet traffic and all that kind of stuff. So my apologies if I'm stepping on you or any of our callers. And once again, if you're calling in, if it's ringing, that means I can see you on the board. I just can't answer a phone while somebody's on the air. And if you're already on hold, then hopefully you have a question for Congressman Kana. John, in West Allis, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Kana. Well, I hadn't expected to uh, talk with the congressman, but it's just something I think people should know about. Republicans in Wisconsin um, have been uh, pressing the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and because of that, our 2020 election has been thrown into chaos. The court ordered a delay in printing of absentee and mail-in ballots, and these ballots were approved as required by state law by the election board, with two of the three Republican appointees on the, the board even voting in favor of it. And uh, the, this is not the first time that, that the Supreme Court, which has got a bunch of reactionaries on it, um, has, has essentially violated state law or they've uh, uh, violated the state constitution by refusing to separate powers. 
is probably the most corrupt court of any state in the union. This is what happens when these Republicans get a hold of the strings of power in state offices. And they put... Let's let Congressman Connor respond to that, John. But yes, the election in Wisconsin is now on hold. They can't even mail the ballots out, which I believe were supposed to go out this week, because the Supreme Court said that they're going to intervene on behalf of a Green Party candidate who claims that he was uh, you know, illegally or inappropriately disqualified from the ballot. Congressman? Well, I read about that, and I share John's concerns. I mean, it's uh, this is a Wisconsin Supreme Court that uh, tried to intervene during the primary, as you remember, because there was a race for the Supreme Court, uh, one of the seats, and the Wisconsin Supreme Court was basically not allowing ballots to be counted uh, after the fact, even though there was a very small uh, timeline to get them in. And now they're delaying the whole process. Uh, Wisconsin state law doesn't allow ballots, even if they're uh, postmarked correctly, to be counted uh, unless the, the Supreme Court uh, or the U.S. Supreme Court, the uh, federal court, creates some grace period. So I, I think this is all about the Republican strategy, knowing they're down in the polls, down six, seven points in Wisconsin. Uh, their only strategy is voter suppression and uh, these kind of tech ta- tactics. But we have to realize there are two fights. There is the election and then there is going to be a legal fight. And we need to win both of them. Yeah. In Madison, Wisconsin, I don't have your name here. What's your what's your name? It's Bob. And, uh, you know, okay, I, Bob. interesting. I was calling in on the exact same thing that John just called to discuss. I heard this as a very brief story last night on the evening news. It did not get a lot of coverage locally. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty darn concerned when those absentee ballots aren't going out on time. So that's it. John said it very well. And uh, I have nothing more to say about it. Well, thank you, Bob. Well, I think it's important that John and Bob both are as vigilant, and that's one thing that gives me hope that our citizens are going to be vigilant. Uh, you know, the early results are very encouraging coming out of Pennsylvania and Florida. Uh, we have a three-to-one advantage of people who requested absentee ballots, two-to-one advantage of people who didn't vote in 2016 who are requesting these ballots. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, citizens are going to take their duty very seriously. Yeah. Amen. Karen in Friday Harbor, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hello, Tom and Ro Khanna. Thank you so much for everything you do. I just wanted to offer a ray of, a ray of light through all the din here. Um, I wanted to talk about the problem of the amount of carbon in our atmosphere. Um, just recently, Science News just published an article on artificial chloroplasts, which may be something that we may be able to look to to uh, help solve this problem, which could be our future. So, Yeah, it's anyway. a new decarbonizing technology. Um, yeah. Congressman, your thoughts on, on how, we, uh, how we decarbonize our atmosphere? Absolutely. I think we one need to invest heavily in solar and and, and wind and uh, geothermal and battery storage. And the more we have renewable energy, the better uh, in terms of decarbonization. Uh, we need to have uh, a carbon tax so that we're on polluters and large corporations, so that we're incentivizing that transition. And then carbon uh, capture, carbon uh, you know uh, sequestration, uh, according to the uh, intergovernmental. Uh, a panel of climate change report has to be a part of the solution as well. So I think we need uh, an all-of-the-above approach. Congressman, we have 30 seconds of the break. Do you see any movement in Congress in, in, in any directions that are useful with regard to climate change? Or is that all going to have to wait until after the election? It's going to have to wait until after the election. I mean, and, and if, if, if God forbid Trump is there, there's nothing that's going to happen. So uh, I think if Biden is there, it's going to be a priority. Uh, the fact that Markey won his election is helpful in the Senate. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly indicates that, you know, a Green New Deal or these issues of climate are, are a big deal. Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is taking your calls for the hour in our national town hall meeting here on the Tom Harpin program. Congressman Khanna is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the Silicon Valley area of California. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. This is the Tom Hartman program. And you can tweet him at Rep Ro Khanna, R-E-P-R-O-K-H-A-N-N-A. We'll be right back. 
On the science revolution this week, the impact of the pandemic on Trump's refusal to acknowledge science or join the World Health Organization's backed vaccine cooperation pact. It's harming Americans as Trump brings the con into the pandemic. Dr. Bandy Lee is here on the science of hate mongering. Is Donald Trump's hate contagious? Ellie Zupnik drops by about another broken promise on drug pricing from Donald Trump as the August 24th deadline comes and goes. Plus, Kevin Patel is here on the pollution from wildfires. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. And welcome back. Uh, Kino in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, watch this on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Oh, yeah. Hello, Tom and Congressman. Uh, I'm Kino, the moose herder Republican that supports Biden. And my question is, do letters count anymore? Uh, the Biden, uh, somebody, a friend, I don't have a computer now, and I have to write letters. A friend said the Biden website said they would not open letters. And I, this past week, I sent a letter to you, uh, Congressman Kana, and, and to uh, Chuck Schumer, will any chance that you or Schumer will see my letters? Are, are letters still processed uh, through? I heard it takes about three weeks, but uh, uh, people are putting all their eggs in one basket, only communicating through computers. And us old geezers that still communicate by letters, will, you, will any chance you, now I'm not your constituent, so is there any chance that you or Schumer will see my letters? It's about the 25th Amendment and how that uh, Republicans who are about to see the light about the cruelty and danger of Trump, uh, the 25th Amendment can be used. There is a plan to, for Republicans, Democrats to uh, get rid of, dismiss Trump. Now, is there any chance you will see my letter that I sent this past week and how long before it gets to you? Well, you know, I appreciate it. Uh, ordinarily, we uh, see every letter and it's in our very responsive. Obviously, in uh, the situation with COVID, uh, we have delayed times because uh, a lot of the staff is working uh, remotely, and so they go in uh, after uh, a period to collect the, the, the physical mail. So it's easier right now to do it uh, on email or send something remote, but your letter will be read. Uh, but the delay, there is a delay given COVID. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, Representative Rowe, I'd like to offer a suggestion for everyone involved in advancing the interests of candidate Biden. Um, we keep hearing this, you know, fear and mobs and danger and violence stuff from Trump, but uh, for those small percentage of, of voters that are in the middle and maybe undecided, um, we need to remind these people that white grievance, when it is exercised uh, in public, is typically done through mob tactics, violence, and a lot of criminality, where black grievance has always succeeded through following the mechanisms of our democracy, of protest, of the courts, of pressuring candidates, of supporting and voting for candidates. Um, the, the white grievance argument is one of no law and disorder. And middle of okay, the Eric, we have 30 seconds. Let's let, let's let Congressman uh, Connor respond to your, your point. I think it's a, a brilliant one. Well, Eric, I think your point actually shared by Cornell West, who, who taught, uh, famous philosopher at Harvard, who talks about how, given the African-American experience of this country after slavery and Jim Crow, it's amazing how peaceful uh, the African-American response has been, that it is in some sense the conscience of the nation. When you look at people like Dr. King and John Lewis and Reverend Lawson in the uh, justified in injustice that the community has faced, and yet their uh, ability to rise above it and seek peace, reconciliation, partly because of their faith tradition. Uh, I, I think that that in, is, uh, should be a source of inspiration for this country, and, and uh, uh, you're actually right to, to highlight that. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Kana as we uh, do this national town hall meeting here. Congressman Kana represents the, uh, the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. We'll be right back. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's 
or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome to the Tom Hartman Book Club, Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America by Michael Eric Dyson, who was a guest on our program a while back. Uh, this is from page 86. One of the great privileges of whiteness is not to see color, not to see race, and not to pay a price for ignoring it, except, of course, when you're called on it. But even then, the price pales quite literally in comparison to the high price black folk pay for being black. We pay a price, too, for not even being able to derive recognition and financial reward for the styles that make the world want to be black so bad that they don't mind looking like us as long as they never, ever have to be us. If the appropriators can freely rip off our culture with no consequences, those who revise racial history, the fourth stage of white racial grief, are even less accountable for their deeds. The way of the racial revisionist when it comes to black life and history is simply to rewrite it. Their motto is, it didn't happen that way. There's a flood of writing that tells us that the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, but about an effort to defend states' rights. But, my friend, you've got to put yourself in our place and see the absurdity of such a claim. Defend the rights of states to do what? To enslave blacks. But even here, the irresistible logic of whiteness that is irresistible to whites themselves and to all of us who are subjected to white whim springs into full action. White American history is so powerful that even when it loses, it wins. 
at least in skirmishes within whiteness itself. From the right wing, there is the belief that the Civil War was fought over the ability of individual states to beat back a federal government out to impose its will. From the left wing, there's the belief that the Civil War was a conflict between the planter class and the proletariat. In each case, race as the main reason for the war is skillfully rewritten, or really written out. Slavery is rewritten, too. Some white Christian apologists contend that black folk needed slavery to save their souls or to rescue their cultures. A contemporary twist on this argument radiates in thinkers like Dinesh D'Souza, who claims that American blacks brought here through slavery are now doing far better than their African kin. Some white critics argue that since blacks sold other blacks into slavery, bondage was a black man's problem, not a white man's burden. But revisionists would much rather describe the dehumanization of black folk as little more than a commercial transaction. It's another way of washing their hands of racial responsibility. The effort to rewrite history surfaces in how Malcolm X is treated in the mainstream. It hardly seems likely that the culture he fought with all his heart could be depended on to grasp his true meaning. Malcolm is often read as an apostle of violence, as a frightful figure, consumed by destructive rage. But the truth is far more complex, and Malcolm was far more complicated. But isn't the autobiography of Malcolm X so enduringly appealing because it shows Malcolm giving up hatred as a means to racial justice? Malcolm X believed in the liberation of black folk from the mental and psychological chains of white supremacy. He was not committed to nonviolence as a way of life or as a method of social strategy. He believed that such a commitment prevents the full realization of black emancipation. Yet he was not personally violent. As Ossie Davis says in his eulogy, responding to the claim that Malcolm preached hate and was a fanatic and a racist, quote, Did you even talk to Brother Malcolm? Was he ever himself associated with violence or any public disturbance? End quote. The rage that flowed in Malcolm's veins was the rage against a force of whiteness that aimed to wash its black kin from the face of the earth. The urge to rewrite black history occasionally gives way to the final stage of white racial grief, which is simply, when it comes to race, dilute it. That is, to argue that black stuff doesn't just plague black folk. To summarize, bad stuff happens to everyone. This argument surfaced in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, and that storm certainly hit black folk, but it hit white folk too. This is the sordid version of reverse American exceptionalism. It is the same Me Too impulse that flares in the bitter battle against affirmative action. Beloved, I can't help but notice that affirmative action is the bee in so many of your bonnets. You look around in your classrooms and you think every black person is there because they got an unfair shake from the system. You look at your job and you think that your black coworker got an unjust nod of approval from the powers that be. You never stop to think how the history of whiteness in America is one long scroll of affirmative action. You never stop to think that Babe Ruth never had to play the greatest players of his generation, just the greatest white players. You never stop to think that most of our presidents never rose to the top because they bested the competition, only just the white competition. White privilege is a self-selecting tool that keeps you from having to compete with the best. The history of white folk gaining access to Harvard, Princeton, or Yale is the history of white folk deciding ahead of the game that you are superior. You argue that slots in school should be reserved for your kin because, after all, they are smarter, more disciplined, better suited, and more deserving than inferior blacks. From Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America by Michael Eric Dyson. And welcome back. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour in our national town hall meeting. We've got a caller. In, let's try Mike in mm-hmm. Cleveland, Georgia. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, it's not Mike. It's his wife, Glennis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we both call in, so you're confused. That's okay. Um, I have been a minister for over 45 years. I have a 93-year-old mother who is a very godly woman. She never watches the news. She never watches what the Congress is doing or anything else. Now, she just always blindly votes Republican. But I have been trying my best to talk to her about she can't do that. She needs to be informed. And, you know, just begging her not to put her mark by a man who is the complete antithesis of everything Jesus taught us. And, um, you know, it's like, how are the Democrats going to fight it when she comes out? This is what her friends tell her, I'm sure that the Democrats are going to completely destroy and do away with Christianity. 
And this is a hard thing to fight. I always tell people, please read out of the Bible and not into it. But, you know, I'm just at a loss. Now, she's about come to the conclusion she's not going to vote. And honestly, I'd rather see her not vote than put a mark by that kind of a man as Trump. Yeah. Well, let's let Congressman Connor respond to that. Well, I appreciate uh, your perspective and uh, especially the line about uh, reading out of the Bible and not putting things into the Bible. Uh, but I, I think the Democrats have to uh, just speak uh, very clearly that we respect faith, that we respect people of faith and their right to participate in, in the public sphere. Uh, and that the, uh, but that uh, there also has to be an equality behind the law and, that, uh, and a respect for different faiths. And I, I think most Americans are, are there. They, they don't want to have uh, one religion determine what, what the state should be, uh, but they want to have people of different faiths having the ability to practice. And uh, my sense is that's a message that we need to keep repeating, a respect for people of faith, and hopefully uh, earn their trust. AJ in Gainesville, Florida. And I would add, by the way, it, it increasingly looks like the reason why Jerry Falwell um, endorsed Donald Trump is that, according to Michael Cohen, is that Trump was blackmailing him with racy pictures of his wife. And so that's where the Christian endorsement of Trump came from. That Maybe that message needs to get out there, too. Anyhow, AJ in Gainesville, Florida. You're on the Earth, Congressman Connor. Hi, Congressman Connor. It's good to be able to talk to you today. You do a great job. Um, I have a question for you, though, because I've seen interjected into the narrative recently this theory that I disagree with, that the president never wanted to win or never planned to win. He stumbled into the presidency. And I have a number of things I can run down, but I won't, because certainly I want your answer. But I think the number one piece of evidence that that was not the case was the fact that he could not land a deal, Michael Cohen, with SDNY, because they require you to spill your guts. And he was too busy covering up crimes that included conspiracy, money laundering, things around the Russia involvement and in, uh, uh, interfering with our election, and I believe stealing the election. And I think that that's a key piece of evidence that this is not the case. And what they're trying to do is nullify the grounds and legitimacy of the investigation in the first place. So, A.J., are you suggesting that maybe at the beginning Trump started running for president as a branding stunt, like Michael Cohen says, but toward the end he realized that he might go to jail if he doesn't become president and therefore he hung on? Is that your point? No, no, that's not my point. My point is he was all in from day one. You don't bring uh, in Paul okay. Manafort, well, who was unparalleled, right. and bring him to help you win and then say, oh, no, I, I really didn't want to win. OK, let's get Congressman Connors thoughts on this. Congressman? Well, I, I think uh, Trump uh, can't stomach the idea of losing. So I think that was a defense mechanism for him saying, uh, oh, I don't really want to win in case things didn't turn out. But uh, it's obvious he wanted to be the president. I agree with you. I mean, he ran in 2000. He's been plotting for this. He ran on a third party candidacy in 2000. And uh, I think he may have uh, tried to tell himself uh, if he lost, oh, I, I don't really want this. But deep down, he wanted it. It's just like he's going to do everything possible to win this time. I mean, he is... Uh, uh, to uh, his identity is too caught up with uh, in meeting the position. Great. Uh, CJ in Titusville, Florida. You're on the earth. Congressman Connor. Uh, yes. Two things. Uh, if these postal machines are being cut up and thrown in the dumpster, why isn't the postmaster being arrested for destruction of government property? Number two, up here in Volusia County, two weeks ago, the supervisor of elections called the post office on the deadline and asked if they had any ballots there. They were told no. The next morning, 1,200 ballots were delivered. Too late to be counted. Well, I I agree with you that uh, the joy one needs to go. I mean, it's... uh, unconscionable that he's overseeing the Postal Service. And we just heard earlier in the the, the conversation about the concerns with Wisconsin extending the uh, time before absentee ballots are mailed and the combination of uh, having ballots go out later and then having this guy in charge of the Postal Service is is very, very dangerous. And I do think he has committed uh, crimes, not just uh, in terms of the interference on uh, the uh, mail, but in terms of the way he reimbursed donors 
but obviously you've got Barr running the Justice Department. Now the hope is we get a new administration and uh, then he'll be held accountable. Yeah. Do you think that we have 30 seconds to the end of this to the end of this block? Do you think that Congress is going to actually be able to hold a joy accountable? It seems to me like everything is going to end in a couple of weeks when Congress uh, goes out for the for the uh, uh, political season. I don't. I think what we were able to do is uh, raise awareness. I think he's going to be uh, have a lot more attention around him. But no, ultimately, uh, he's going to do still be in charge by, uh, during the election. Yeah. yeah, remarkable. Well, hey, by the way, Joyce finally got into the studio, so we're going to actually have real oh, screen calls for you right after the break. Well, you've been, uh, you've done which well. is well. yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. It's a relief. We'll be right back with Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's our National Town Hall meeting with the Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressman Ro Khanna from California. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, we have a new video over at TomHartman.com. On this one, I'm digging into, or actually kind of taking issue with, a new article that's over on TheNation.com titled, Could Coronavirus End Globalization? And they've got a bunch of analysts who are weighing in on this sort of thing. And my take is that this is going to be even bigger than that. This depression that we are sliding into is being softened right now by the Federal Reserve throwing $6 trillion at America's largest corporations, one-third of all economic activity for a year in the United States, twice the annual federal budget. The Fed has just parked $6 trillion with a couple of hundred big companies, and it's just masking what's coming. It's going to get bad, and it could become fascist. And so it's over at TomHartman.com. Check it out. O'Connor is with us for the hour, our national town hall meeting with the congressman. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 17th District of California, Silicon Valley area. Kana.house.gov and ReproCana are his uh, website and uh, Twitter handle, respectively. Jay in St. Petersburg, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman. Thank you very much for being on the air and being on the Progressive Caucus. I'm asking if the Progressive Caucus and the Democratic National Committee could look at a bill and adopt it all over the country on federal delegations across the country to adopt it in their re-election platforms before November to reestablish the Civilian Conservation Corps. We have two acts now that are in uh, Congress, one by Dick Durbin of uh, Illinois and then one by um, senior member of Congress, uh, Marcy Kaptur, and I'm looking on the list of uh, sponsors, co-sponsors, and you're not on it this time. And I was hoping that um, in the next few weeks, when Congress is off, you could sign on to that act and push it with your members, other members, for jobs, you know, for post-pandemic economy recovery. It would put our young people to work. It would give our veterans jobs, our Native Americans jobs. And also, if it was in there now, we would be saving, they would be put to work, hard work to um, save California, Oregon, and Washington from the forest fires. It also would prevent the erosion down in Louisiana that's going on and uh, try to save some of our watersheds that are being depleted around the country by replanting trees. So I was wondering if you and your colleagues could look at that bill and maybe adopt it in your election campaign. And uh, uh, that's what I was going to ask you if you could do that. Thank you, Jake. That's a great idea. I uh, wasn't familiar with the bill, but uh, I will uh, sign on to Marcy's uh, bill on uh, the Civilian uh, Conservation Corps, and I think that that's uh, uh, very uh, needed. Uh, I have a proposal with Elizabeth Warren on creating a digital corps where we can have some of these young people employed in skills to, to help the government. But I think that the Civilian Conservation Corps, which obviously worked during the New Deal, uh, would be a great addition. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi. Um, I'd like to ask this question in spirit of um, all the people that were booing at the football game. Would the congressman advocate 
return of civics classes to the schools. And also, very quickly, a politics class given on PBS. And whoever watches and passes a test maybe gets a discount on their taxes or a debit card or something to advocate better education of our citizenry. Thank you. David, uh, I completely believe we need a civics class. We need a class about uh, uh, the responsibilities of democratic citizenship and that encourages uh, uh, looking at issues in, in, in different ways. Uh, I uh, I think definitely uh, that is something that uh, is sorely needed at this time. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thank you, Tom, and uh, good morning, Congressman. Uh, please, I don't mean this to rub anyone the wrong way, but here's my question. It's a rhetorical question, and I'd like your response. Uh, but my question is, are we going to read the 190,000 plus and counting names of the people that have died of coronavirus uh, every year? Because if we're not, I don't know what we were doing for eight years in Iraq and 19 years in Afghanistan over the deaths of 3,000 people. And in those two wars, we lost three times as many people as were killed on 9-11, and that only amounts to 12,000 people. And my suggestion is that we keep reminding ourselves every year of this tragedy of 9-11 so that we can remind ourselves to hate Muslims, whereas we won't read 190,000 or 200 or 225 or 250,000 dead Americans' names based on our own failure. That's what our government did was fail, and we won't read 250,000 names based on that. Sorry, that sounds a little bit edgy, but that's a that's the poignant point that I have to make. Thank you. Well, it is a shocking uh, number of deaths, a uh, unbelievable amount of suffering and tragedy. I think almost all of us know someone who either passed away or had a close call or was hospitalized. Uh, and I do think it is important for us to uh, remember the tragedy and and to uh, reflect on it uh, every year and. Uh, as long as we're alive, so that we can make sure that uh, this doesn't happen again if there's a, a future pandemic and that we're much more prepared uh, to handle a crisis. Paul, uh, Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Kana. Thanks for the town hall. Congressman Kana, uh, while the whole West Coast burns and tens of millions are unemployed in Hungary, um, we have a guy in the White House who knowingly betrayed the American people and let this virus decimate the country. In my humble opinion, Biden can't be overly pedantic like Jimmy Carter or John Kerry he needs to be strong and assertive. And he can start by not only calling out Trump for the blood on his hands, but I believe Biden, Harris, and Democratic leaders like yourself should stand united for a national mask mandate that the University of Washington says would save 120,000 lives between now and January 1st. That's about 40 times the number of people who died on 9-11. Would you be on board for this and advocate for this, Congressman? Jeff, I am. I uh, for a, a national mask mandate, if there's a way, I think Congress would have to pass it. I, I don't know if the president could do it uh, through executive uh, power, but I, I would be uh, for uh, Congress passing uh, a, a national law uh, that requires the, the wearing of, uh, of masks if you're not being able to socially distance or if you're indoors. Uh, it seems to me that that's a common sense that would save lives. Nolan in Minneapolis, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, Congressman Kana. I was wondering, I'm not sure if this has been part of the Green New Deal proposal or not, but something, a proposal to build some infrastructure to direct or pipe, you know, floodwaters from hurricane areas in the east and Gulf Coast uh, to the west coast to help with droughts and, and wildfires. Um, it seems particularly prescient right now when it might be like a good um, directive for Democrats to campaign on um, kind of as a contrast to um, the other points that are just basically against Trump. No, I appreciate that. And it certainly would help uh, uh, my district, our state, uh, to, to make that kind of investment uh, to uh, have uh, greater resources, greater water, to be able to uh, tackle the, the forest fires. And uh, I would support it and uh, uh, appreciate the suggestion. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're talking to your congressman. Tom, thank you very much. Ro, uh, really appreciate you taking my call. 
I, I mean, here today, I can't see a half a mile from my house because of the smoke, and I know Tom's dealing with it, too. It's a real bad problem for us. But the kids have been at home now for eight months. And my concern is that uh, they're talking about sending the kids back to school. I wouldn't send my child back to school right now. And I don't know if the teachers or three teachers died in the last, what, two weeks? This is ridiculous. The government needs to step up and say, look, we can't return back to something that we know is going to kill another, what, half a million children over the next five years and just kind of look the other way. I'm here today after surviving 9-11. I walked up the floor day that that happened and I retired as a paramedic. So I don't want to repeat any more loss of life. This is ridiculous. I need for the Congress and the need for the well, 55 days from now, a different president, hopefully, to step up and start meeting. If you could, if you would, speak to the Congress and ask them to hold schools until we have a better control of the pandemic that's raping this country. Thank you. Well, I agree with you. I've taken that position, obviously, as you know, in my district. But I think what's important, as Elizabeth Warren and I've called for in the Essential Worker Bill of Rights, is that you're going to uh, say schools shouldn't open. We need to provide workers with child care. We need to provide uh, much more resources uh, for remote learning. I mean, we had a situation where working parents right now uh, have schools closed. They still have to show up to work. Uh, they don't know what to do with their uh, with their kids. And their kids are being shuttled from grandparents to uncles and aunts to older kids in neighborhoods and not getting an education. So uh, we need to act uh, and, and provide the resources to make up for uh, schools not being open. Congressman, we have 35 seconds. I'm skeptical that any action is going to happen before, really, January. What do you think? I think we have to act. I mean, the, the human suffering is at, at such a large scale, and the Progressive Caucus... But you got Mitch McConnell. We got Mitch McConnell, and, and, and you know, in, in, in the Speaker's defense, she's not going to take a deal that says no funding for states and localities and say... And, and basically, the Republicans won't won't do that. And, and you know, if Biden wins and McConnell's still in the Senate, um, we, we still have him to deal with. Which is uh, uh, which is why I'm, I'm skeptical something will happen before the election. But we're we're pushing. Good. Okay. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at rep as in representative rep Ro R O Khanna. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And uh, welcome to Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from the crash of 2016. This is one of the very last chapters. It's titled Green Revolution. Just as America now faces an unsustainable thirst for energy, so too was Germany faced with a power crisis in the late 1990s. Growing demands for electricity collided with the reality that the country has no oil reserves and a strong bias among its people against building nuclear power plants in the wake of the nearby Chernobyl meltdown. Yet the government knew that the country needed the electricity equivalent of at least one or two new nuclear power plants over the next decade. So how to generate that much electricity without nuclear power? In 1999, progressives in Germany passed the 100,000 Roofs Program, which mandated the banks had to provide low-interest 10-year loans to homeowners sufficient for them to put solar panels on their roofs. They then passed the Renewable Energy Law and integrated the 100,000 Roofs Program into it in 2004. The Renewable Energy Law, REL, mandated that for the next 10 years, the power company had to buy power back from those homeowners at a level substantially above the going rate, so that the homeowners' income from the solar panels would equal their loan payments on the panels and would also represent the actual cost to the power company to generate that amount of power by building a new nuclear power plant. At the end of the 10 years, the power company gets to buy solar power at its regular rate, and it now has a new source of power without having to pay and maintain and eventually dismantle a nuclear reactor. In fact, while the reactor would have a 20- to 30-year lifespan, the solar panels typically last 50 years. For the homeowners, it was a no-brainer. They were getting low-interest loans from banks for the solar panels, and the power companies were paying for the power generated from those panels at a higher rate, uh, high enough to pay off the loans. It was like getting solar power panels for free. If anything, the government underestimated how rapidly Germans would embrace the program, and thus how quickly power would be produced by the program. By 2007, Germany accounted for about half the entire world's solar market. Just that one year, 2007 saw 1,300 megawatts, and a megawatt is a million watts, 1,300 megawatts of solar-generating capacity brought online just across Germany. For comparison, consider the average generating capacity of each of the last five nuclear power plants brought online in the United States. That capacity is 1,100 megawatts. So Germany had 1,300 megawatts just in 2007 added. In 2008, Germany added 2,000 megawatts of solar power to their grid, like two nukes, and in 2009, homeowners and businesses put onto their roofs enough solar panels to glean an additional 2,500 megawatts. Although the goal for the first decade of this century was to generate around 3,000 megawatts, eliminating the need to build two new nuclear power plants, the simple no-risk program had instead added over 8,000 megawatts of power, roughly eight nuclear power plants. And because the generation sources were scattered across the country, there was no need to run new high-tension power lines from central generating stations, making it more efficient and less expensive. Meanwhile, as dozens of German companies got into the business of manufacturing and installing solar power systems, the cost dropped by more than half between 1997 and 2007 and continues to plummet. The Germans expect that by 2050, more than a quarter of all their electricity will come from solar. It's now just over 1%. Now, I wrote this book two and a half years ago. Germany this summer produced 100% of their electricity this way. That's how rapidly this has changed just in the last three years. It's really remarkable. Adding to the roughly 12.5% of all German energy currently produced by renewable sources, mostly hydro, but also wind, biomass, and geothermal. The solar panel program has been so successful that the German government is now thinking that it's time to back off and leave this to the marketplace, which they've largely done 
And it's not just leaving it to the marketplace. They had to reinvent their grid. There's to be a smart grid to handle all the added electricity that all these solar panels were producing. They have too much electricity now in Germany. Germany is now considering incentives to its world-famous domestic auto industry to manufacture flex-fuel plug-in hybrid automobiles that can get over 500 miles per gallon of strategic gasoline boosted by domestically produced rooftop solar with existing technology. Meanwhile, Denmark has invested billions in having more than half of its entire auto fleet using only electricity by 2030. And China is no slouch when it comes to renewable energy. Although the Chinese continue to bring another dirty coal-fired power plant online about once a week, they surpassed every other nation in the world in 2010 in direct investment in the production of solar and wind power. As the Los Angeles Times reported in March of 2010, U.S. clean energy investments hit $18 billion last year. A report from the Pew Charitable Trust said a little more than half the Chinese total of $34 billion. Five years ago, Chinese investments in clean energy totaled just $2.5 billion. The United States also slipped behind 10 other countries, including Canada and Mexico, in clean energy investments as a share of the national economy. The Pew report pointed to another factor constraining U.S. competitiveness, a lack of national mandates for renewable energy production or a surcharge on greenhouse gas emissions that would make fossil fuels more expensive. The ultimate power to the people is for homes to have their own solar roofs no longer needing power lines from distant power plants owned by big transnational corporations. The crash of 2016. Chris in Mission Viejo, California, here on the Earth, Congressman Kana. Hello, Mr. Hartman and Congressman. As a Californian, we pay the most taxes. There are other states like New York. My question is, why don't we open up an office where the funds can go to, and if a president like Trump won't uh, give California help when they need it, they just withhold the taxes to the federal and use it for their state. Hmm. You're, you're advocating the California not pay the federal tax, or... Yeah, I think that was his point, that California not pass along, uh, although uh, federal taxes are collected by the federal government, aren't they? The IRS? They're collected by the federal government, uh, yes. I mean, uh, they're taken directly out of, uh, at the IRS, they're directly out of people's paychecks. He's right that Californians uh, pay uh, a higher share of tax than uh, our state receives back. But, you know, I I think despite whoever is in the White House right now, I, I definitely think that we have to view our uh, uh, obligations to uh, to the nation, and we've been there when there have been uh, tragedies in other states, as we should be. Uh, when there have been hurricanes or tornadoes or uh, or storms in other places, and now California is hurting, and uh, the country, regardless of politics, should be there for California. I mean, I, I think there should be certain things that are beyond politics in this country. Yeah, Mike in Barney Lake, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Tom. And uh, wishing you and yours stay healthy during the smoke. Good morning, Congressman. As a combat vet, I, I noticed that you sit on the Armed Services Committee. And my question, even though I can't really frame it in a way in which probably can get a really good response, is does this committee have any kind of preparation or how quick can they investigate if this administration tries to pull another stunt like they did in Washington, D.C.? Mike, well, first of all, thank you for your uh, service to our country. Uh, we do have jurisdiction over the funding of the Pentagon and the funding of the military. So uh, we could call the defense secretary if they use uh, uh, troops. Uh, if they use uh, uh, law enforcement from DHS or another agency, we don't have jurisdiction over that. But if they actually use our military troops, uh, then absolutely we have jurisdiction, can investigate and can say we're not going to fund it. Ed, in Balfour, Washington, we have a minute, Ed, till the break. You're on the air with Congressman. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Representative Connor. My question has to do with Trump's list of Supreme Court unqualified people that he's putting up for the Supreme Court. And I don't understand why he can get away with threatening Vice President Biden with that list when the Democratic Party should be constantly, constantly asking Trump for his taxes. Who's bought and paid for this guy? Who's paid and bought this guy? Constantly, I tell people I'm still waiting for his tax returns. Thank you. Yeah, let's get let's get a response. Thanks, Ed. 
Well, I, I think that's exactly what you're going to see Biden do in the debates. I, I, I know there's a sense that Trump is uh, going to somehow uh, win. I, I, I think Biden is an underestimated debater. I say that as someone who was on Bernie Sanders' team and saw Biden do quite well in those debates. I think he's going to go directly after Trump, and he's going to expose the corruption. Hmm. I, let's... <laughs> From your lips to God's ears, Congressman. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Ro Khanna, taking your calls for the hour here on the Tom Harbin program. He represents the 17th District of California, Silicon Valley, and the U.S. House of Representatives and is vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Stick around with we'll me right So we have a new video up over at TomHartman.com for uh, people who are signed up. And it's about how Donald Trump, 16 days after Mr. Khashoggi was murdered by the Saudis in Turkey and his body dismembered and vanished, 16 days after that happened, without notifying Congress and with virtually no mention to anybody, Donald Trump authorized the transfer of top secret nuclear technology to the Saudis. This should be a serious issue. Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, is raising hell about it because Khashoggi lived in Virginia. But I think everybody in Congress should be raising hell about this. And when you back this up with this new report out from ProPublica that the Saudis were involved in 9-11, it gets real interesting. So you can check that out over at TomHartman.com. You know, look for our basically members-only video. And welcome back. Congressman Khanna taking your calls. Art in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. You're on the air. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning, Congressman. Uh, I think that Joe Biden is missing a golden opportunity. I'd like to see him make the release of Trump's taxes as a condition for the debates. I mean, Trump promised them four years ago. I wouldn't be surprised if Trump's financial empire was totally dependent on Russian money. But be that as it may, I think that that would be a, a wonderful strategy. It would put Trump on the spot. It wouldn't be that Joe Biden says, I don't want to debate you. If he, it would be saying, I'm fine debating you, but you've got to release your taxes like I released mine. And do you think that's a good idea? And I wish it would happen. That's my question. You know, I mean, I, the speaker has called for that, and, and uh, Tom Friedman called for that. You know, one compromise approach is he could show up to the first debate and say, look, I'm here. I don't have any fear of debating you. I'm going to win. Uh, and if you want more debates, uh, release your tax returns by the time you get a second debate. Or, but I, I definitely think he has to make it a big issue in the debate. And uh, there's no question in my mind if the election were tomorrow, Biden would win. He's up. He's up pretty decisively. Uh, so Trump is going to be desperate, and Trump needs those debates more than Biden does. Melissa in Tucson, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Uh Hello, Congressman Khanna and uh and Tom, I'm calling because this morning I called all three of my uh, Congress people. They're all women and uh, left the same message with kind of a personal note to Martha McSally. who spoke about being sexually, um, uh, as, you know, assaulted during her time in the military. It seems as though she would feel some empathy for the woman pursuing a claim of rape against a rapist. But there probably wasn't a JAG lawyer, lawyer like William Barr who jumped up to defend her attacker and using our tax dollars to do it. So how do you feel about that? Well, I, I think that there is a uh, hypocrisy amongst Republicans generally uh, in uh, standing behind uh, this president. Uh, and uh, some of them are conflicted about it, but still... Uh, go and defend him, and uh, and others uh, uh, have managed to justify it. But uh, there is going to be a historic accounting, and uh, all of the Republican senators and Pence as a vice president and all are going to look pretty poor in history, uh, and as uh, people who really compromise their uh, their principles. Uh, Snooky in Edgewater, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, hi, Tom and, and uh, Congressman uh, uh, Khanna. Uh, the reason I'm calling is to ask um, you or, or uh, uh, Ro, um, have you ever considered bringing um, attention to the public about seeing the Trump administration's 2020 budget proposal? 
um, and also his 2021 budget proposal, um, it indicates some pretty powerful contradictions about his promise not to slash spending for Medicare or Medicaid. Um, it eliminates the funding for the um, Medicaid uh, expansion. Uh, if they want to cut the uh, racial um, information programs um, that have been suggested for our police departments. And um, I think people would be very surprised about what they really want behind the scenes by just looking at that budget. That's all. Thank you, well, thank you for, for raising that point. I think sometimes in politics, uh, we forget the, the most obvious contrast. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Trump is, has a budget that is going to cut Social Security. It's going to cut Medicare. Uh, this is not uh, any kind of false accusation. This is his own proposal. He's talking about not having defense contractors profit, but he's got a budget that increases the military budget for defense contractors. Uh, so we need to actually uh, expose uh, very clearly uh, what he is proposing. And, and again, I think the debate uh, will be a good opportunity to do this, but uh, you're absolutely right to, that we should be hammering those very basic points. I personally think that uh, the attacks on Trump, which t focus on how he's going to, uh, through policy, hurt people and working families are more effective than sort of broadside character attacks because it's already baked in. People already know he's a bad person. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hi, Tom Hartman here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly, remember the Boston Tea Party, to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges, to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation, end quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. Tim in Hendersonville, North Carolina. You're on the air with Congressman Conant. Couple quick questions. First of all, there's a housing boom. The stock market's going crazy, and yet the prices. I'm a builder, and I do things all the time. Lumber has gone up 75 percent in the last three weeks. Steel going crazy. Deck boards used to be 350. They're 1950. And I'm in North Carolina. One, why is Congress not checking into why the prices are going so crazy and the consumers getting nailed for it? And two, why don't the Democrats legislate what can go on a credit report? For instance. Student loans should not be able to go on credit reports. That would help out everybody. And uh, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, and Congressman, let me toss something there. in here. I was just reading an article in the yeah. in the Financial Times about this. The, the demand for building materials is the result of all these extreme weather events we've been having, wiping out towns. Back to you. Well, Tim, I, I agree with you that, first of all, student loans shouldn't be on a credit report and that we should be medical bankruptcies I don't think should be on a credit report. I mean, I, and, and that's a, uh, a good avenue for legislation. I also think that there has to be uh, some reasonable restrictions on being able to profit from emergencies, uh, whether that is tech companies that have had to provide more service at this time or whether it's building materials, as Tom pointed out. You should not be able to raise prices in a way that is going to be exploitive in a tragedy. And that also, I mean, that's about enforcement of the law. Those laws exist. And, of course, the Trump administration hasn't been enforcing them. In a way, this just highlights the tragedy of global warming, too, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's a, uh, the, the, I mean, the weather in my uh, state, and you look at the Golden Gate Bridge and the, the pictures over it, and you, you look at uh, global warming being very, very real. The increased dryness and the increased uh, temperatures is causing these fires. There you go. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's great talking with you, and our listeners really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoy it, Tom. Thank you. 
Hey, Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that Sue, who works on our newsletter, has just been doing an extraordinary job. We have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day she puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. And you know, she compiles these throughout the program and then gets the newsletter together and it goes out an hour or two after the show is off the air. And it's just absolutely extraordinary and something I think you'll find really useful. Uh, no charge for that. So we're trying to get the word out. There's so many ways to communicate these messages. So check it out at TomHartman.com. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 